Well, since our small groups are studying the story of Jesus, I thought that it would be uh, good to focus the messages over the next seven weeks on this story of Jesus as well. So we're starting a series today called Encountering Jesus. And I've called it that because it's my prayer that uh, as we hear the story of Jesus in the coming weeks through our small groups and through the messages, that we will not only learn about who Jesus is, but encounter him in fresh and living ways. And this morning we're going to talk about Jesus' life. Uh, Over the next six weeks I'm going to pick themes from his life. Today we're going to talk about his life and um, the life that he offers us. So to get us started, if you want to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, to the very first chapter, uh, we're going to read what John had to say about Jesus' life. Uh, John was someone who spent uh, three years living very close to Jesus. And John says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word, Jesus, was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. And in him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all people. If you want a full and rich picture of Jesus' life and the life that Jesus came to bring us, read the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus lived an amazing life, and John gives us a wonderful account of what it was like. And most of the teachings throughout the book of John circle around this word, life. And after telling all about Jesus' life on earth and his death and his resurrection, John closes his account of Jesus' life with these words in John 20, 30, and 31. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In another place, he says, if everything that Jesus did and said were written down, the world couldn't contain the books. Then he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus is life, and that was John's focus. The deepest need of your life and mine is to understand who Jesus is and what his life and his story means for you. And if you'll pull out your message notes, we're going to look at three ways that Jesus wants his story to change your life. And the first way that Jesus wants your life to be changed by his story is he wants to change change our ordinary lives into extraordinary lives of meaning and purpose. And today we're going to look at uh, the story of Simon Peter. Peter's life was transformed by an encounter with Jesus, and yours can be too. And we find in this story, uh, this story in the chapter, fifth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And in this 
a particular story. Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and as so often happened when Jesus taught, there was a crowd of people following him and gathered around him. And there were, in fact, so many people that they were pressing in on Jesus on every side, trying to get near to him and hear him as he taught. And off to the side were some fishermen cleaning their nets. And this guy named Simon and his fishing partners. And um, we don't know it at this point in the story. The author hasn't told us this yet, but they're cleaning their nets after working all night and not catching anything. And they've been out in this boat all night, and the way these nets worked is you, you drop them quietly into the water and releasing them in a row. And they had weights on the bottom of them and, and corks on the top that would suspend the top of the net. And then they would leave their nets suspended there and pull their boat around in between the shore and the nets. And then they would stomp in the boat and slap the water with their oars and make all kinds of noise to drive the fish into their nets. And then they would go and they would pull in their nets and pull out the fish assuming there were any, and then they would do it all over again, 10 to 15 times a night. It was hard and exhausting work. And we weren't, aren't told in this story how many nights Simon had come home with empty nets. Uh, was this like the first time in his life, or uh, so it was no big deal, or was, has it been so many nights now that he's wondering if he's even a fisherman at all? What we can be pretty sure of at this point in the story is that his nets, his boat, his family, the catch, was what Simon cared most about in the world. This was his livelihood, and he had struck out, which would have made what happened next uh, not the highlight of his day, if you think about it. Um, Have you ever gone to Meyer, not looking your best, (laughs) you know, maybe your hair, maybe even no makeup or something, hoping no one sees you. Then you run into the kid's teacher or your pastor, right? That happened to Janet the other night. and I don't know. It was, ba- it was uh, baseline night at Meyer. We, we ran into Becky and, and Janet and Mike and Glenn and Ruth, and so it was like, let's just all have a prayer meeting or something. But... <laughs> So we were all there, and but Simon's there, and he's cleaning his nets after coming up empty. And this famous rabbi comes by, and how wonderful. There's a whole group of people following him, and now they're standing around your empty boats. And Jesus sees the empty boats, and the crowd is pushing in on him. And so he climbed into Peter's boat, and he asked him to push off the shore a bit and he sat there in the boat in that natural amphitheater and he taught the people and when he was done does anybody remember what what he did next right he's right he says well when he was finished speaking he said to simon now go out where it's deeper and let your nets down and you'll catch many fish Now, you think about that for a minute. Um, For Simon, that might have been kind of a humorous moment. Here he is a fisherman, and here Jesus is a carpenter and a teacher, and he's telling 
this professional fisherman where and when to fish. And I mean, this was Simon Peter's opportunity to look smart, to, to be the one that knows how things are. And yet, somehow, Simon resists the temptation to explain trammel nets to Jesus. And uh, see, the type of nets that they would have been using were visible to fish during the day. And they had to be let down at night when the fish couldn't see them or they'd be scared away. So, so Jesus, the carpenter slash rabbi, is telling Simon to fish uh, at a time when it's very unlikely that he'll catch anything. they'll catch anything. And that might have been funny if it weren't for the fact that Simon had just spent the morning cleaning the nets that the teacher is now asking him to let down into the weeds again. But surprisingly, Simon's not laughing. Instead, look at what he says. Rabbi, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, if you give the word, we'll try again. And they do. And the nets fill up with so many fish that they threaten to swamp the boat. And Simon calls to James and John and their dad Zebedee to come with their boat. And there are so many fish that their both boats are on the verge of sinking. And it's estimated by people who estimate these kind of things that uh, that catch was about three-quarters of a ton of fish. And, and I hope that you can kind of get this picture in your head. This had to have been a huge amount of fun for Jesus. I mean, we kind of picture him standing off the side a little bit watching, but these boats weren't all that big. And so Jesus would have had to, he would have been in the way if he wasn't helping, you know. So here's Simon Peter and Jesus, and they're hauling the net in, and Simon is, you know, watching all these fish come, and Jesus just kind of watching Simon. And and uh, then Simon realizes, hey, our boat is going to be swamped. And so he calls his his friends, James and John, and they start filling their boat, and their boat is uh, overflowing, and Simon doesn't realize how full it is until their boat's about to tip over. And then he is standing there, and he looks at this tremendous catch, and the waves are, you know, flapping (laughs) up over the sides of the, the boat. And then he looks at the catch, And then he looks at Jesus, and it suddenly hits him, and he drops to his knees. Now, what Simon says next isn't exactly a job application, uh, but Jesus takes it as one. And Peter sees the size of the catch, and he realizes that Jesus created this whole moment in his life. He orchestrated this monster fish story of all time it was jesus gift to him and the only way that jesus could have produced it to make fish congregate where they hadn't been all night and jump into a net during the uh, day that they weren't supposed to be attracted to was if jesus were god and a minute ago simon had called him rabbi but now he falls on his knees before him And he says, Lord, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinner. Not much of a resume. But exactly what God looks for, Jesus looks for in his followers. The realization 
but you're God and I'm not. And you can kind of imagine Jesus laughing and helping him up. Simon, he says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. Let's do this with people. And that was a turning point in Peter's life story. Everything changed for him. Jesus' life story had intersected with Peter's story, and Peter's ordinary life became extraordinary. Before Jesus stepped into his story, Peter's days were spent just trying to make a living and provide for his family. Uh, Maybe that's what your life feels like some days. But after that encounter with Jesus, Peter's life story went from unremarkable to one that people are reading about and inspired by 2,000 years later. Only Jesus can do that in a life. And when you encounter Jesus' life in a real and powerful way, it changes everything. His life fills our life with meaning and purpose. And, you know, this shouldn't be any surprise at all when you think about the kind of life that Jesus lived when he was on earth. I think sometimes people think that Christianity, you know, Christians are boring. But uh, if you think about the way that Jesus lived, uh, that wasn't how Jesus lived. He, He lived an extraordinary life. I mean, he walked on water. (laughs) He calmed the winds and the waves with a word. He fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. He cast out demons. He healed the the blind, the lame, the deaf, the deformed. People who couldn't see were seen. People who couldn't walk started to walk. People who couldn't hear began to hear. He raised a little girl from the dead. He brought a widow's dead son back to life. He spoke and called a dead friend out of his tomb. Jesus was the sinless friend of sinners and outcasts. In one meal alone, he ate with a leper, was doused with perfume by a prostitute, and made enemies of the Pharisees. He called a tax collector to be one of his disciples, and he went to a party at his house and ate and drank with his tax-collecting buddies. He cast out a legion of demons out of a crazy man. And he sent a herd of pigs careening over a cliff. He touched people no one else would touch. He went places no one else would go. And he loved people no one else would love. He had an encounter with all kinds of people. He was, the first person that he revealed his identity to was the despised Samaritan woman who had been the wife of five husbands and wasn't married to the man that she was living with. He experienced everything in life. He was fully human. He experienced hunger in the desert. He was angry at stubborn hearts. He felt deep compassion for the helpless. He was moved to tears by the death of a friend. He marveled at the faith of a centurion. He pronounced a list of woes on the religious folk of the day. And uh, that made him not very popular with them. They called him a blasphemer, a, de- a deceiver. He, they said he was demon-possessed. Um, for being a friend of sinners, he was called a glutton and a drunkard. For claiming to be God, he was beaten and spit upon, ridicule, ridiculed, tortured, whipped, hung on a cross, nails in his hands and in his feet, crucified and buried in a borrowed tomb. But but for those who loved him, he was known as the good shepherd, the bread of life, the living water, the light of the world, the lamb of God, the lion of Judah, 
the bridegroom of the bride, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, son of God, son of man, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, our coming king, the risen, victorious savior of the world. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him. Life itself was in him. And this is the life that he makes available to us. I'll look at his own words in John 10.10. He says, my purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Jesus came to give us life, a life that is full of power, of peace, and joy. And he's made that life available to everyone. Uh, The second thing that he wants us to know about his life is that it's available to everyone. Some of you uh, were raised in the church, and you don't remember a time when you weren't following Christ. Many of you can point to a time when, like Peter, you had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything. And that's what happened to me. Uh, When I was 16 years old, a group of Christians came to our church for what was called a lay witness mission. And uh, Christians from all over the state would come to a particular church and they would stay in the homes of the church members and then they would share their story of what Jesus was doing in their life throughout the weekend. And I had gone to church since I was in the second grade and I, uh, the older I got, the less I liked it. And I thought it was boring. I didn't understand what they were talking about. And because I was short, my mother made me sing in the junior choir till I was like, you know, eighth grade or ninth grade because I was, you know, everybody was still my height or whatever. But, and so I finally got out of that and, and I did everything that I could every week to get out of going to church. I mean, I would um, uh, bribe my mom to let me cook uh, a chicken dinner for our nine-member family <laughs> if I could stay home from church. And those of you who know how much I like to cook, I know how much I disliked going to church. So on the weekend of this lay witness mission, um, it had a youth component. There was a youth team that would come, and they would meet with the youth. And... and uh, I I just didn't see why this had to ruin my weekend. So uh, I convinced the coordinator of the uh, lay witness movement to uh, let the kids go to our high school dance. And I drove a carload of them to the dance, and then I disappeared into the dark gym and uh, took them home afterwards, back to the church afterwards. And I didn't go to the meetings at all on Saturday. But my sister did, and she came home uh, that evening and was telling about how one of the lay witnesses on the team had eaten a hamburger whole. And I thought that was kind of weird. I thought Christians were kind of weird. And um, so on Sunday morning, I got up, and I drove to church late And because in our family, if you didn't go to church on Sunday, you didn't go anywhere the rest of the week. So... Uh, I was there, and my family was already there, and I went and I sat with my friends in the very back row of the church. And I listened to people talk about Jesus. And I don't remember anything they said, but I do remember that when they gave the invitation at the end to come to the altar and to invite Jesus into your life, watching my dad and my brother go forward, 
and and knowing something significant had happened, and I had missed out on it. After church, um, they offered this opportunity to go on a lay witness mission and be a witness and share what Jesus was doing in your life. And I had nothing to witness about. I knew nothing about being a follower of Jesus, but there were two great-looking guys on that team. (laughs) And I was interested in following them. (laughs) So I signed up. And uh, that's how clueless I was, I mean. But... uh, So I got this invitation about a month later to go and to uh, be a part of one of these teams at a church down in Benton Harbor. And I went with my brother and two adults from our church, uh, still clueless and now disappointed because the two cute guys weren't there. And there was no dance on Friday evening. (laughs) And we broke into small groups, and I happened to be in a group with the uh, youth leader. Uh, for the whole mission and she asked me to share uh, with the others in our group what Jesus was doing in my life and I didn't have a clue I had nothing to say Uh, I didn't know that um, you could have a relationship with with Jesus and so she might as well have asked me to explain Einstein's theory of relativity or something (laughs) I knew as much about that as I did about having a relationship with Jesus. And there was this awkward pause, and then I said something about, well, it's my first mission, I'd rather not talk. And so she must have thought, okay, God, it's you and me. But um, all weekend, these people were talking about God's love and that God is a God of love, that he loves us. And it was the first time that I had heard that in a way that I understood it that God loved me. All of my life, I had thought that uh, I had been afraid of God. He was the God in that prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Don't teach that to your kids. (laughs) To me, he was the soul taker God. I never realized he was my soul lover, God. And um, so the next day, during the afternoon break, I sat in a circle with those friends from my home church, and, and we prayed, and as we prayed, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And in that moment, I experienced a, a powerful, God in a powerful way. It was like my mind was aglow and full of light, And not everybody has that kind of experience, and I can't explain it. But my life was changed, and I can't explain that. That Jesus changes everything. And, you know, I I wasn't a rebellious teen. That was, you know, a real problem to my parents. I wasn't running away from God before I met Christ. I just didn't know how much he loved me. And I didn't realize I was created to love God back. And before that day, I was unaware that Jesus Christ died for me and that he wanted to have a relationship with me. And since I gave my life to Christ, he's been changing me, he's been shaping me, giving my life meaning and the assurance that life will never end. And, and that's the third thing that Jesus wants us to know, that 
He's the source of life that goes on forever and ever. This not only offers us a life of uh, meaning and purpose, a life that surpasses anything that you'll ever find in this world, but he offers us a life that goes on and on into eternity. And through Jesus, we have the assurance of heaven. We've all heard these words from the Gospel of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Those words are for everybody. Whosoever believes in him shall have life. And I wonder if there's anybody here today who would not have an answer to that question, what is Jesus doing in your life right now? Uh, Maybe like me, you were never told that Jesus loves you and wants to fill your life with his life, a life that lasts forever. And, And I don't want anybody to leave here today not knowing that you can have life in Christ. Uh, All you have to do is invite him in. All you have to do is say, I want want that life. And if you do that, he will fill you with his life. And if you never do that, I'm praying that you'll take that step of faith today and receive new life in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 describes it. This is our memory verse, so let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5:17. Jesus offers us a fresh start, a new beginning, and that's available to you today. And, and we're going to pray later if anybody's uh, wanting to take that step or wants to know more about it, I'd love to talk to you. And others of you may have taken that step at some point, uh, but then you kind of got comfortable just doing church, and you haven't really asked Jesus to do something amazing through you uh, in a while. Life in Christ is not meant to be dull or boring. Following Jesus will mean taking risks, big and small, to be involved in what he's doing around you. Uh, God wants, has filled you with a passion for something, And he wants to use you in those ways, in a life that fills your life full of meaning and full of purpose. And over the next six weeks, my prayer is that we'll all encounter Jesus and experience his life and his power in new ways. So that we can say with Paul and millions of others over the last 2,000 years these words, and let's read them together. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. All right. Would you pray with me? Loving God, we, we praise you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, for making that sacrifice so that we could have life. And we thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins, for giving us a fresh start, for making it so that we can have access to God forever and ever and have friendship with God, to move from 
from alienation, from, from being far away from God to being close and knowing him and having him active in our life every day. And if there's anybody here that has never asked Jesus into your life I, and are ready to do that, want to do that today, I just encourage you to pray with me right now. Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I invite you into my life. I accept your death on the cross in my place. And I thank you for forgiving my sins. And I invite you to come and live in me. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.